0: Can you all guess which one is the extrovert between the two of us? Man, he is just, he's fun to watch, whatever he's doing, playing sports, preaching, he does it with his whole heart. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to come up and speak with you guys this morning. I'm going to open with prayer. Um, I don't come up here very often uh, because this isn't (laughs) my happy place. (laughs) Um, that was my happy place, you know, um, but I am obedient always, um, and when the Lord says, speak, I speak, so, um, I am excited, um, to be up here today to share with you. So let's just open with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you and praise you, um, that you order all things. You bring all things into order Father, I thank you that you see the end from the beginning. And Father, today I just ask that you would um, bring revelation of your character. Father, that you would shine the light of truth on our hearts, Father God. Um, Father, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored in this place. Um, And Father, that we would see you more clearly, that we would see you rightly um, 30 minutes from now than we do right now, God. I pray that you would do a work in us this morning, um, Father, that you would have your way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Pastor Jason is in the middle of a series uh, out of Matthew chapter 5, and uh, he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh probably some of you guys know this. We minister together. We've been leading this church for five years. We have attended this church for almost 25 years, 24 and a half. We've been married 24 and a half years. We have eight children. Um, pastoring the church was not necessarily on our radar, but we what was on our radar was radical obedience, hearing from God and doing what he says. And so we had made that a pattern in our life. And so in 2010 when the Lord called us out of GE out of oh my gosh, just such a good life, such an easy path. Um he called us out and he he brought us actually into a wilderness, a time of wilderness where there was a lot of growing and a lot of suffering and a lot of shaping of our characters, and we didn't know what for. And now when I watch my husband preach up here with power and anointing, I know that it was all worth it. Um, I didn't know it then, but I held on. I held on with white knuckles sometimes to the fact that God knew what he was doing. Uh, that he was working, um, so I'm very passionate about God. He's the Redeemer. He is the Restorer. He has saved me over and over and over again. Um, I am not a shiny penny. <laughs> I'm married to a shiny penny. <laughs> I, I have. Um, I am a person who has cried out over and over and over again and he answers me um in the valleys and in the the wilderness and so when i feel a mountaintop moment oh, thank god he's so good or a um from psalm 23 from like the the still waters moments i soak them in i cherish them but i also use them to teach and to implore to encourage to inspire those who are in the valleys, those who are in the wilderness. Um, I think that that is my gift to my eight children. I'm an encourager, and I'm a truth finder. Let's find the truth. Let's find out what's true and build on that, because that's the only way that we can be safe. And that is like one of my heart, highest goals in life is just to be safe. Um, and it has shaped who I am, that that want of safety. And I know that the truth will set me free. I know that the truth, the way, the truth, and the life is my safe spot. That is my sweet spot. So, um, so last week, uh, Pastor Jason was preaching on Matthew 5, uh, verse 21 and 22. I'm going to read it. Um, and I just felt the Lord... Uh, prompt me, he's like, You need to share. And so I'm going to share a story, a death to life story with you this morning. Um, okay, so in Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rakah shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. There's a lot of danger being warned. I mean, it is Jesus's priority to lead us in the ways of truth and to keep us safe and to be one with us. So, um, uh, Pastor Jason shared a great great definition of murder. Hidden anger and bitterness. Deep-seated hostility. And this is the one that we're really going to press into, a settled anger or resentment. This is what we call nursing a grudge. So in all of those definitions, I hear different things. Hidden anger and bitterness is hidden. You don't know it's there. You're not aware of it. If it's hidden from you. So I guess you could be, okay, so it's, if it's hidden from you, you're unaware of it. And it's there. It's affecting you. You are feeding on it, though you are unaware. Sometimes uh, my kids can't have food dye, and sometimes they will eat it unaware. And I will know immediately that one of them in particular has had food dye. Um, But it's hidden. Deep-seated hostility. I looked that up because I'm like, is it deep-seated or deep-seated? Okay, I'm a word nerd. Uh, And it comes from a horseback riding term, which means sitting deep in the seat. So I don't know what that means. I'm not an equestrian. Um, so, uh, but a deep-seated hostility, I mean, it's just something that's brewing. It's something that is well-established. Um, but a settled anger or resentment, it's like it's just been there so long that it's just the way it is. It just is what it is. This is the way it is. And nursing a grudge, boy, that's proactive. That's, I don't like that person, and I don't want to like that person. And I'm gonna make sure that people know I don't like that person. Any opportunity I have to be offended by that person, I'm gonna take it, whether they meant to offend me or not. Nursing a grudge is very proactive, um, very damaging, very dangerous. Um, so this is heavy, this is heavy stuff. And he's speaking to us, he's speaking to believers here. So this isn't like unbelievers. The church sometimes gets so bent out of shape when sinners act like sinners, when the lost act lost, when they when they behave like lost people. But this is for us. This is for us sitting in this room. This is for this body of believers. Um, and it's so important that I just, I wanted to, I wanted to park, park here for a minute because no one partners with a murderous spirit, and that's what this is. He's talking about anger, deep-seated anger, deep-seated resentment and hostility. No one who has, has been baptized in Christ Jesus and walks with him purposely says, I'm going to be hateful to this person. I mean, in general, when you make that commitment to Christ, you know, you set an intention to grow. You set an intention to learn um, of Jesus and to be like Jesus. So I feel like we don't purposely hold on to grudges. We don't purposely nurse grudges. But, and this is important, a murderous spirit will grow by default. Okay? It will take ground by default because love and forgiveness must be intentional. You have to do it on purpose. Okay? So, and that's where we get Caught up. That's where people get a little trapped, get a little caught unaware. That's where we find hidden resentment and hidden anger because we're not being proactive, we're not being intentional about what does the Bible say? Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Love and forgiveness is intentional. Um, We need to seek it, we need to pray for it, we need to practice it, we need to choose it, we need to sit with the Holy Spirit and say, I'm struggling with this person. I'm struggling to like them. Um, I'm struggling to love them. And that nabbit. Wasn't I reading the Bible the other day in Romans chapter 12? And my translation said, don't just pretend to love others. Actually love them. And I'm just like, (sighs) but what if I don't actually love them? Isn't pretending like the next best thing, like isn't it like the step stool to reaching love? And I mean, I could probably, I, we didn't finish that conversation. So when I tell you that is a real working out of salvation going on in your leadership is the real deal. Like this was like last week. You know, um, loving people outside of my circle of safety is not comfortable for me and it is intentional. Not taking offense is intentional and I've had lots of practice um, because the Lord will bring lots of practice until He perfects us in endurance, um, until we get really good at it, so that we're protected. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to tell you a story. Um, it's an important story in my life. Um, when I go through when you go through a time of wilderness, when you go through a time of suffering, and that's what it is, plain and simple, it is suffering. And there's a difference, church, between suffering and torment. Torment is of the devil. If you are in torment over grief because someone passed away um, and it's been months or it's been years and it's just still a torment, then you need prayer. It's the only way it's going to go. You need prayer. Suffering is different. Suffering is something, when it's godly suffering, when it's biblical suffering, it's purposeful. It's purposeful. And that's all I need. Because I look to Jesus. He's my example, and he suffered cruelly. It wasn't fair, and he didn't defend himself. He suffered for purpose, for us. So in looking to his example, I accept suffering, but when I'm in the midst of it, I have to continually remind myself that God is working. That's why I get so worked up over that song. It just it has been a lifeline to me um, that he's working. So the year is 2004, 2005, and we are living in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. So we've come to this church for 24 and a half years, but we had like a two-year stint where we moved away. We went to a great Bible-based church, um, a First Assembly church. It was a smaller congregation down in Hermitage. We had two kids. We had Anna, who at that time was just about to turn three years old. And um, no, that's not true. She was probably closer to five years old. And we had Grace, who was four. No, three. Three or four? Three. Okay. Accuracy matters. If I had a T-shirt on that said something that would define accuracy matters, if I'm telling a story, I just want the details to be accurate because I don't want to exaggerate. I want to be accurate. Okay. Okay. Um, so we have these kids, and we move down to Hermitage, and that facilitated a move in my life. So God sees the end from the beginning. He saw the big picture, and I knew I was struggling postpartum. I struggled with postpartum depression for two years, and it wasn't in such a state that I couldn't care for my baby or that I was mad at my baby because I, there was a danger of it. So I held that baby, and I decided I'm going to make her a favorite. She, I'm going to just temporarily favor her completely. And so I would hold her and hold her and hold her and hold her and love on her. But every other area of my life was falling apart. Jason and I probably had the first just type of fights that aren't productive, that aren't, they're not productive. I remember I was standing in front of the dryer and I yelled at him about a washcloth. And I mean, I was mean about it, and I felt it. Like, I I marked, the moment was marked for me. And it was the beginning of just being unable to really control my emotions. I would just be overwhelmed with anger. I just would be so upset. The blender, I remember losing it because the blender wasn't working one day, and I was late to get somewhere. And it's just all of this pressure. And I... I felt it, and I tried to maneuver. I did all the good Christian maneuvering. You know, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray. I worship. Those are good things, and you do those good things, but it's not magic. Jesus is—he doesn't do magic. You know what I'm saying? Those are practices that nurture you, whether you feel it or not, right? It's like taking a vitamin or eating breakfast. It nurtures you, um, and you do feel it. So I did those. I was doing those things, but I just didn't have joy. I could not conjure up joy. Um, and there was just a lot of pressure, anger. I was always upset. I was suffering. And when we moved down to Hermitage, it got magnified. Um, and it just got more. And um, gosh, I just was suffering and struggling, struggling, very depressed. And so we went to church, and Pastor Ken uh, spoke a message called Thou Shalt Not Murder. Sound familiar? (laughs) Now, I didn't know Jason was, I didn't know that was the title of his message last week. I don't look at his messages. I don't give input in his messages unless he asks. Like, hey, what's that thing that happened? Accuracy, it doesn't exist. He exaggerates, y'all. He doesn't, he tells the truth, but he exaggerates and he just broad strokes it. All right, yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, we, I, I did not know that that was going to be his message, um, last week. So pastor Ken's message was thou shalt not murder. And he read this passage and he, as he's preaching, I feel this rage. I just rage on the inside of me at church. And he's just talking about forgiveness and releasing people who have harmed you, um, without, with or without cause. And, um, I was enraged. That's all I can say. It made me so angry. We came home from church. We walked in the door. The kids go wherever they go. They were such good little girls. They were like angels. That's why we have eight. It's like bait and switch. Like, I'm going to give you three or four angels, and then we're going to just. The last four are fun. They're fun. They are. We walk in the door, and I go, and I'm just trying Trying marked these years. I was suffering, and there's all this pressure. If you're trying, and you're like this on the inside, that's, that space is not for you. And we, that space is not for you. Trying is a little red flag. When I feel myself trying, I know I need to get with Jesus, and I need to cry. I need to worship, and I need to surrender. Those are the things. Because trying always, for me, leads to a massive explosion. It's um, in my own power. So I'm trying to hold it together, and I'm trying to make sandwiches, and I just pick up the lunch meat ham, and I literally just chuck it. I just chuck it across the kitchen. And I said something, and it was in regards to, like, my, my dad in particular. I was just like, that's fine. That's fine. I'll forgive him. Just whatever. Yeah, it's great. It's great that you were the way you were. Whatever. That's fine. Just whatever good it's like this is crap this is crap I mean I I mean I'm being real I was furious indignant this isn't right through the ham and here's like a pivotal moment what do I do now what do I do so I went up to my room and I closed the door and I hid away because I never want my to kind of harm my children that's like my number one goal I don't know how I'm doing, but I would hide myself away to protect them um, in a way that I wasn't protected. And so I went in my room and I put on, so I ran to Jesus is what I did. I didn't know I was doing that at the time. It's not like I'm going to run to Jesus. I didn't think that, but that, looking back, that is what I did. I went in my bedroom. I closed the door. I put on a Jeremy Camp song on repeat, and I played it over and over and over again, and I wept. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And I wept. And the song was called, I don't know, something, This is My Desire. Um, this is my desire. This is my return. This is my desire to be used by you. All my life, you've, I've seen where you've taken me something, all the joys and all the bad things, um, and there's more left unseen. This is my desire to be used by you. Like, I just wanted my life to be significant, and I just wanted to get over my past. I just wanted to grow. I just wanted to move on. Like, okay, I have forgiven my dad. Can I just move on? Can I just move on? I forgive him. I have forgiven him. Why are you bothering me? I've forgiven him. I'm nice to him. I call him on the phone every other week. I'm lying. Every month, I go and visit him. When we are home, even though it's very inconvenient, I take, I mean, I talk, I mean, I never say anything bad to the kids. I don't go around telling people all of the the reasons, all the cause I have to not be forgiving. Why are you bothering me? And so there I am in the room and the song just keeps playing and that song will always be important to me because I didn't, I didn't see this. I didn't see the freedom on the other side. I didn't see the kingdom work he would, I would be blessed to do. I didn't see that. I'm a sniffler. It's going to happen. Um, the Lord began to speak to me. And I, I felt it. I heard it on the inside. Not, not to my ears, okay? It's not like, lose. Inside, I, I, he prompted me, go in the attic and get the box. Oh. So if I wasn't mad before, I was mad now. (laughs) The box was this little trunk, perfect square, little trunk with golden retriever and little flowers on the sides and a little clasp in the front. It was my childhood box. And in it was childhood things. I dislike looking back into my childhood. I don't wanna, I don't wanna go there. There's nothing good there for me. And he said, go get the box. And I didn't know what he was going to show me. I didn't know what was about to happen. He said to go get the box. I didn't know what I was looking for. So I got the box. And I get it down and I go back in my room, close the door. And um, I start looking through the box. And I open a letter. And the letter is from my dad. So I read the letter. And I'm like, okay, well, that was a sweet letter. When did he write that? No remembrance of the letter. And I keep going through the papers. I find another paper. I open it up. It's another letter from my dad. And I read that letter. And I was like, well, that was a really sweet letter. I don't know when he wrote that. All these letters, I believe, were written between the ages of, like, 15 and 18. Um, and then there was a third letter. And as I'm reading it, I'm not emotional or anything, but then the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Liz, he loves you. And I was like, but, and he was like, yeah, I know. He loves you. I was like, but but all the things, Lord, but what about this? Because this, this, I'm not going to say what this, but this was real. This was not okay. Not okay. And he said, yeah, I know. I know what he did, but he loved you with everything everything he had. He loved you. And I just began to weep. I just began to weep because I had cause. My dad had major mental health issues that never were addressed. He would never go and get help. He was, he was severely bipolar, and it wreaked havoc in our home. He was an incredibly sweet man. He was Italian. He was affectionate. He was passionate. Um, He was smart. He never never thought he was, but he was smart. Um, And that was the best of my dad. He was wise. Like, he was wise. And he loved people, like, right where they were. He never made himself better than other people. But on the flip side of that, he was violent, and he was volatile, and you never knew what it was going to be. I was a very sensitive child. I was a very scared child. And growing up like that, you can now understand why I said that being safe is like my most important thing, because it is. I spent a lot of years saying I would rather be safe than be loved, and so I kept everybody at a distance except for him. Him, I just wanted all of. <laughs> and he's like, you're smothering me. Um, <laughs> the Lord grew me up, and now I know that to be loved in Jesus is to be the safest I can ever be. But that I have, I have to practice. It's a practice for me. And ever since I've begun that practice, there's good space between us now. And he's almost like, where, where have you been all afternoon? I'm like, oh, you know, I was doing my thing. And he's just like, I, I, I kind of miss you. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. Like, it's nice. It's healthy. Um, so that's, that's how I grew up. And so I had cause. Now, I was waiting for my dad, I think, to come and say, Lizzie, which is what he called me, Lizzie, I'm sorry, babe. Please forgive me. I know the kind of father I was. I know that I really wasn't. I know I hurt you, that's all. I know I hurt you, and I know I did things that really wounded your heart. Please forgive me. He didn't do that, and I, I think I was waiting for that. I was looking for some grand gesture, and I didn't get it, but I, he apologized after each event. He was sorry. I, watched, I saw my dad broken. I saw him struggle. I saw him go in his room and close the door and watch, what is it, the Ten Commandments, for like three days straight. That's not healthy. But I mean, that's what he would do to try to protect his family. Sound familiar? Um, I don't stay for three days. So God is working, right? Um, So the Lord, in this moment, I see these letters and they're full of encouragement. They're full of words of love. And they were true. They were true. But up until that point, I didn't know my own heart. I was mad and I was yelling at the Lord and throwing hand because I didn't know my own heart. Like, I've forgiven him. I am so good to him. He is lucky. I'm not kidding. That is, if you, if I would have dug deep, he is lucky that I am even bothered with him because I have cause, man. I, I could this and I could that. That's what he deserves. But in all, in my graciousness, I will, I will call you on the phone once a month. You know, I didn't see the pride. I didn't see the unforgiveness in my heart. I didn't see, well, I was living the anger. I just didn't know where it was coming from. And no matter how hard I tried to control it, I couldn't. It was taking over. Um, so in that moment, in that moment, the Lord said, Liz, he loves you. It doesn't matter. I don't like that phrase. Irregard, not your regardless friends. Regardless of what he did, regardless of what you experienced, regardless of how you felt, this is what's true. He loved you. He loves you. He loves you. And once I saw it, I saw it. I saw it, and my eyes were opened. And there was a shift, this seismic shift on the inside of me, that a core belief had shifted. If you have ever seen Inside Out, you know, the movie with the little girl, and there's the feelings that live in her head, the core belief islands, they, they crumble. There was a core belief shift of decades that in a moment aligned to the truth. And everything changed in that moment. Everything changed in a moment. And I wept. And I saw the bitterness in me. I saw how I was punishing him. And there was no condemnation, friends. There was no condemnation. I didn't feel bad, but I saw it and I wept for it. But I wasn't condemned by it because I didn't even know it was there, I didn't understand it. I wept and I wept. And I called him on the phone right then and there. And he picked up, and I was just weeping. I was like, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've been awful. I've been awful. And I can hear the emotion in his voice, and he's like, Sarah, baby, what's the matter? Sarah, what's wrong? And he thought it was my younger sister. Never in a million years had he ever seen that side of me because I just kept it. When I broke ties in my heart with him, I mean, I will, I will cut you. I am Italian. I will cut you out, and I won't think twice about it. Psh, you do you. You want Jesus? I highly recommend. You don't? See ya. I mean, that's not good. That's not evangelism 101. Don't do that, okay? But this is where, I'm, this is where I was, and so I'm weeping, and his response is, Sarah, Sarah, what's the matter? And my sister, psh, I love her. She's six, seven years younger than me, and she's all drama if she's watching, sorry. She's a baby of the family. She's all drama. So Sarah, what's the matter? I was like, it's Liz. And he lost it. He just started weeping. And I was like, dad, I'm so sorry. I just, I've been awful. And he's like, no, baby, I just, I wasn't a good dad. And I was like, no, that's the thing you were. You were, you were a great dad. You were a great dad, and he was a great dad in moments. But I let, I, let, I let all the bad negate the good. And I never received the love. He gave me those letters. I read them, but they didn't hit. I didn't let them in. They never sunk in. They, made no, they, they had no effect on me until that moment. And we began to be reconciled to one another. I was partnered with a murderous spirit and there's no condemnation in that because I didn't know all that there is is the mercy of God all that there is in this is the mercy of God in my life to free me and and obedience you know throw the ham that's fine but you know now go get the box Fine. You know, in my house, the kids do not have to pretend to be happy when they obey. I mean, I'm human, so sometimes I get a little touchy if there's an attitude. But I teach them when they're very young to say, yes, mom. I mean, little, little. If, if ever I even call their name, Ruby. Yes, mom. Yes, mom. Go get your shoes. Yes, mom. It's just to acknowledge a verbal back and forth. I've said something. You've heard me. And getting your child to say yes increases the, the likelihood of obedience. So I do that with my children, but I remember one of them, Anna, probably the oldest, she's very much like her dad, firstborn, wants to please. She would be angry, and I would watch her upset at something she had to do, and she would just shove it down. Yes, mommy. I'm like, girl, you're not, you're not happy. And so I told, I, 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 I trained her up in the way she should go, which means I literally put the words in her mouth. I said, Anna, it's okay to be unhappy that mom asked you to clean up your toys and you weren't done playing. You don't have to be happy about it. You can be like, yes, mom. You can be sad. You can even be angry. Yes, mom. Like you can, I gave her permission to have those emotions. There is no condemnation in this moment. There was no condemnation. Repentance. You cannot repent from something you don't see. You can't. You can't do, you can't just do a blanket repentance. God, I repent of all my sins. That sounds great. It doesn't produce freedom. It doesn't produce freedom. Um, it's, and it has nothing to do with I'm sorry, except for I'm sorry is what flows out of repentance. Okay? Repentance isn't going to someone and saying you're sorry. That's apologizing. Um, it's not repenting. Repentance is seeing the sin, seeing the spiritual partnership at the root of the sin and cutting it off and saying you are my enemy, I want nothing to do with you anymore. And you turn away from it. And when when you repent like that, everything changes. Once you see that truth and you embrace it, you do it willingly. And everything changed in that moment. My perspective changed. My belief changed. My feelings changed. So often we try to change our behavior. This is what I was doing. I'm going to have Christian behavior. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be... Patient and forbearing with my wretch of a father. And I tried to put on the actions of Christianity. But my heart, there was my heart. My beliefs, my feelings, my perspective was all not renewed to the truth. So we began to reconcile to one another. Those conversations were hard. They weren 't all they weren't all great, um, but God led, and He pressed forward and I want to tell you something. I had a new power, I had new grace that I didn't have, I had new clarity and I had new peace in order to have those conversations and when I tell you that I changed, I changed. I was a new parent, I was a new parent immediately because when, you have a, when you're partnered with a murderous spirit, and I want to keep saying that because we, we are so afraid of saying that. That's how, the, it's, that's how the kingdom of darkness works. It will come and partner with you, and it will do it so slick, so subtly, that you won't even know that you are shackled to it until God, in his loving kindness, in his mercy, reveals it to you. You have got to understand how skillful the enemy is, and do not be afraid. We have all authority over him, but I'm telling you to be intentional about your heart. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's one of my points at the end. Everything changed. We had these conversations, and I had a new grace for my life. I wasn't mad anymore at the incompetent cashier who smushed my bread. I wasn't. I'm telling you, an incompetent bagger at the grocery store will take me from zero to 200 on the anger scale in no time. How hard is it to not smush the bread? Do you train these people? I don't understand. Tetris. That's it. Just make them all play Tetris for like an hour. Done. I'm just saying. Okay. But I, was, I had grace. I had grace for the cashier. And my husband taught me some things. He helped me. Liz, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe you're there for them and not them for you. Oh, oh, it's funny. I had none of that. Anger, unforgiveness, it turns you in. I had none of that. I. If someone cut me off in traffic, I would be mad for hours. It would tank my whole day. Liz, maybe they just found out that their husband is leaving them. Maybe they're on their way to the hospital. Maybe they just miscarried a baby Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, and mistruth. But but that's probably not true. What does it matter if it's true, if it helps you to love them and be in grace in that moment? Tell yourself a story, Liz. Tell yourself a story that, that brings grace to the foreground for that person. Now, that's for a stranger, you know. That's for a stranger. Although it helped me to practice and to learn how to have grace. So I reconciled with my dad, and everything changed. Our whole relationship changed. Now, I wasn't calling him up on the phone. It wasn't like, oh, hi, daddy. Like, it didn't, it's not magic. But I was at peace. Oh, I was at peace. Nine months later, my dad died. He was 50 years old. I didn't know that that was coming. But God knew that it was coming. And when he died, I was at peace. And I wept once or twice or three or four times, but I was at peace and I knew my dad was at peace, finally in the presence of God, no more mental illness, no more fighting. He was a fighter. He was, that's the distinguishing line between just egregious abuse, get out, get out. If you're in here and you're unsure if it's abuse, please talk to us. Because there's pathways toward freedom and health, okay, and there's steps you can take. The difference between egregious abuse and, you know, other is, is what is the grieving of the sin, and I and my dad grieved his sin. He he fought. He was fighting to grow. He was fighting to change. He was fighting to get free. And he was in heaven, and he's finally free. And I was never mad at him for a single moment. Not a single moment. I was like, whew, I will see you soon, and probably not soon enough, because it's hard down here. He died nine months later, and I was at peace. God was working. He saw the whole picture, and he was merciful to me. He wasn't mad at me because I was being prideful. God wasn't mad at me because I was partnered with a murderous, angry, bitter spirit. He wasn't mad at me. He loves me and he wanted to help me and he was waiting for the time when I was ready to lay it down, when I was ready to hear. He led me into his truth. There is no healing outside of God's truth. There is no healing. Whatever ails you, the deepest sufferings, the deepest grieves of your heart, whatever ails you, there is no other way except for God's truth. The world has lots of different ways. Lots of different ways. And I've been down those paths, some of them, not all of them. It was very hard to get there, but the freedom was immediate and the change was visible and I was a new person. I was a new person. So, I hope that I've dispelled any religious spirit that would try to come upon you in the name of Jesus, that would bring condemnation, you are free to get free you can release anger you can release bitterness how do we do it what do we do number 1 know your heart and be intentional about tending to it know your own heart i could have i could have written i mean i could have written a book on all my dad's failings and all the reasons all my justifications All of it. And it all would have been factually true. Accuracy matters. It all would have been factually true. But my filter was skewed. um, How I responded to it. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. He was trying me. The pharmacists, the bread smushers, I mean, I was out of control, angry, angry. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get control because God wouldn't let me find peace. He needed me to get desperate enough. He wouldn't let me have peace. No false peace for you, Liz. No false peace. I'm working on something. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the prayer of my life. It's the Liz Ackerman secret sauce right there. I cannot be trusted to know my own heart. This is my prayer. In Psalm 51, verse 6, it says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. There's nothing in there about me trying. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. I.e., God is working. When it hurts, when you're suffering, he is working. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The prayer of my life are these two scriptures. Number two, pray for blind eyes to be opened. So often we want to pray, God, I just pray that you would open the eyes of my dad and just show him the pain that he's causing. Now, that's a valid prayer. But the Bible says in Matthew 7 that I ought to be removing the plank from my own eye before going after the speck in someone else's. So only only Jesus... It's my eyes. You know, we're going to tend our hearts. We're going to tend our own eyes. And Jesus was the opener of blind eyes. You will not find in the Old Testament a time when a blind person received their sight. It is a messianic miracle. Only Jesus can radically change our alignment to what is true. Only his truth brings freedom. Not my personal truth. My personal truth Regarding my dad was completely wrong. And you can't just pull out the bits that feel like they're true and say, well, it was wrong, but it's all wrong. It did not lead me to life. It did not lead me to freedom. It was wrong. Only his truth. My personal truth was without grace. It was without mercy. It was without the whole picture. And oh, how merciful he is to open our eyes and to save us from our sins. Number three, obey. Whatever he says to do. You're going to tend your own heart. you got to go to the word. You're going to pray that he opens your blind eyes. Perfect. You're going to see. But once you see, obey. Whatever he says to do, do it. If it's to go dig out a box and look at letters that you wish you didn't have to do, then do it. If it's to go and be honest with someone, be brave and do it. Trust him. Obey. Especially when the I don't want a voice is the loudest especially when it feels like you want to rage and fury on the inside, especially obey when you want to scream, this isn't fair, I can't do this, I shouldn't have to do this. Obey. Do all the raging, do it with Jesus in a room. He won't get mad at you, but obey. Those words, that rage, those are markers of the violent death of a lie, the lie, the sin, the partnership with sin will be broken and it will be done by force. It will not go quietly into the night. All of that rage was, the, was sin holding on in me before I saw it. It was a battle between my spirit. My spirit, whether I have bitterness or not, is perfect and renewed and alive unto Christ. But whether or not I live out of that spirit, that's the battle, okay? Those feelings and those statements, that they're, they're a signal to me that the shackles of sin and death and hell are about to be broken off in me. So church, I encourage you today, do not leave here without doing business with the Lord. There are going to be prayer partners up here today. They will pray with you, Okay? Maureen will be up here. This is who I would go to with anything that I needed prayer for. Jane and Chet. These are people who have battled, (laughs) who have suffered. There is no condemnation and there is no judgment. When you come to the altar to be free, his truth will set you free today. Oh, can I get a keyboarder? Oh, this one is particularly cute and very talented. I mean, I don't know who her parents are, but they've obviously done an excellent job. As Grace is beginning to pray, why don't you all stand up? We're just gonna close today uh, with a word of prayer. I pray that you leave here today feeling empowered, feeling loved right where you are. And if you're churning up in your belly, If the tears are just at the back of your eyes, we're just going to take a moment. Don't miss the opportunity to put an end to the hell that is raging inside of you. Because the freedom is so, so sweet. (laughs) It changed the entire course of my life. Of my life. I could have never had eight children and done it, partnered with the Holy Spirit and done it well if I had not done this first. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in this place. Father, we look to you today. To be free. We invite you, Father, to walk through the corridors of our heart. Today we give you the keys, God, and we ask that you would open every tender place of woundedness, of anger, of fear, of unforgiveness, bitterness, grief. Open every tender place, God. And Jesus, we ask you, Son of David, to have mercy upon us and to open our eyes that we might see your truth. Align us to your truth that we might turn from our ways, from our truths, that we might turn and be made new. Father, that we might be made whole, that we would be made clean and that we would be made free. God, we invite you to do a mighty work in our hearts today. Father, and I boldly ask, hmm. Father, I boldly ask and I decree in the name of Jesus that not one person in the sound of my voice would have any false peace in the name of Jesus. That whatever they're clinging to that is covering, that is soothing them in the meantime that you would rip it away. Father, And in the suffering you would comfort them. In the suffering they would meet you. In that moment of free-falling, that you would catch them. Father, if you must remove their false comfort, then I pray that you would do it in the name of Jesus, that they would be free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Redeemer, healer, Savior, friend, and Lord Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like my powerful prayer people to come on up here. Please don't leave today without getting prayer. You know, I didn't get prayer that day with Pastor Ken, but I went home. I threw the ham. I got with Jesus, and I got free. So go home. And we get prayer, but if you don't get prayer, don't let this go. I just prayed that he would rip your, your in our house it's called a keti, your security blanket, whatever it is, that he would rip it off. So y'all can be mad at me later. Get free. Freedom is ours, church. It's ours. We're going to go out those doors. We're going to eat some mighty fine donuts. And we're going to get some mighty fine freedom. Okay? All right. I don't have a benediction because I'm not Pastor Jason. I don't prepare things in advance like that. But go, go. I dismiss you in the name of Jesus. I dismiss you to be free in Jesus' name.